I don't know if you've ever studied biblical numerology, but the number 40, when you get to it, 40 is a number that deals with tests and trials and even a purification and, and judgment in our journey. And I, I was doing a study on that. I've done biblical numerology studies and the number one, two, three. I mean, I could break it down for you on what those numbers kind of mean. But as I was looking at the number 40 and how it appears in Scripture, it's very fascinating. I mean, Noah's life was transformed by 40 days of rain. You're like, yeah, that, that's what happened with Noah. Moses, he was transformed by 40 days being on Mount Sinai. God ends up giving him some tablets to write on, and he pins what we have as the Ten Commandments and really are the protections of God. Joshua and Caleb, they were radically rocked and transformed by being 40 days in the promised land when uh, they were sent out as spies. And they go there and go, man, it's a land flowing of milk and honey. And 10 of the other guys didn't come back with a positive report. But these guys are like, man, God's told us we can have that land. We're going to take it 40 days. David, he was totally transformed by Goliath's 40-day stare down. And he took him on and took care of business 40 days. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 appears repeatedly. And we know for where we're going here as a church and the vision and really uh, the passion is developing those spiritual habits for 40 days that would take us into 50 and 100 and 500 days that we would get these habits and disciplines in our life uh, of hanging out with God, spending time in prayer, contemplating scripture, journaling, and just hanging out with the king every day that it would just become a part of our lifestyle. That's really the heart of what we're doing. Now, as we dive into this purpose thought process... I want to deal with uh, three of life's greatest questions with you today. And we're constantly asking questions and we're always trying to answer questions. And I want you to get this. I believe in the soul of each and every one of us. These three questions have plagued us at times and maybe even plague you today as you walk in here. Uh, the first question would be this, the question of existence. We've all asked that question. The question of existence, why am I alive? Why am I even alive? The question of significance. Does my life really matter? Third question is a question of meaning. Does my life really have purpose? Let's tackle them. I'm going to tackle all three. I want to spend a little time on each one of them with you today. The question of existence. Why am I alive? Now, as I get into answering these questions, here's what I want you to hear. I want to speak as a life coach. I want to speak as a representative of God's heart that wants to love on your soul and your spirit today. Each and every one of us walk through life at times with incredible pain and heartache and hurt. I believe that many of you walked in here today struggling through some type of issue with life. The universal language is suffering. So it doesn't, you don't have to look far to find somebody that's hurting. I get a text uh, Friday night. And one of my good friends that I've known since 1986, who's pastoring a church in Missouri, I get a text telling me that his 28-year-old daughter had been murdered on Thursday night. And I ended up texting him, and he and I ended up talking for a while yesterday morning. And some dude walks into this house where she was and ends up killing three. Uh, a little two-year-old boy is injured. Uh, the other person is hanging on by a thread. But I'm sitting there listening to this guy, and I'm like, man... His baby is dead. This guy pastors a church in Missouri. He's a godly man. And I'm like, what is going on? Another guy calls me this week. And his dad, who was a pastor uh, of kind of some small country churches, this brother is telling me that he just got a note 
a couple of days before that he had been processing, he had been on the phone earlier that day with a guy that had sent him a note and said, you don't know me, we have never met, but when I was 19 years old, my mom told me that my dad was not my dad, that your dad who was pastoring the church is really my biological dad. I'm 39 years old, I'm starting to have some health problems, and I'm just trying to figure out what kind of genetics I come from. I hope I'm not bothering you. Process that one. Another friend I'm talking to Wednesday night, his mom is at hospice, and she has battled and struggled with mental problems and psychiatric treatment and pharmaceutical abuse. And, he, and, and, and one of my best friends I graduated from high school with, and he's like, what do I do? Do I have a funeral? She don't know anybody. Do I just have a closed, intimate burial? What, what do I do? And you know, here's the reality. You, you walk in here at times and your heart is hurting. And you walk in here and your heart's heavy. And you walk in here and you're puzzled with life and you're going, I need encouragement. Can I tell you something? The person that stands here week after week, the person that leads worship here week after week, we hurt just like you do. I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to find out what God's heartbeat is in areas. I mean, we're not the fourth member of the Trinity. Our tassel hasn't been t- turned. God hasn't said, hey, you've graduated, you've got it. We hurt just like you do. And so when it comes to trying to make sense of these questions, we, we struggle through them with you. So I want to speak as a, a shepherd, as a life coach, that's talking to people who's struggling today. Not in a strong proclamation way, but in an interactive kind of way. And so I pray that God would really move on your heart as we discuss some of these questions. Bam. Existence. Existence. Why am I alive? That question has been asked for thousands of years. It's been asked by tons of people ever since man was created. Jeremiah, that prophet that God had raised up to be a voice declaring God's hope to Israel and beyond. Jeremiah says this. We got it in chapter 20, starting in verse 14. Listen to what he says. This is a dude who knows God, who walks with God, who is going out speaking on behalf of God in his own melancholy says this. I curse the day that I was born. I curse the messenger who came to my father and said, good news, you're going to have a son. Oh, that I had died in my mother's womb. Why was I ever born? My entire life is filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. You ever felt like Jeremiah? You ever been walking through life and kind of looking at your journey and you're starting to get a glimpse back over the narrative of where you've been and you're saying, life really does kind of suck at times. I mean, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of sorrow and there's a lot of hurt. Yeah, you ever been there? I think we've all been there. We don't want to get stuck there and we don't want to stay there and we don't want to empower there. But I think for each and every one of us, if we got honest, we would say, I don't know if I've hurt that bad. I don't, I don't know if I've ever cried out, I wish you would have just crushed me in the womb and I'd never been born. But I think we ask that question, why was I ever born? I mean, life is flooded with heartache. And Job said, a man born of woman, his days are few and it's filled with trouble. And so reality is, we, we all struggle at times. Why am I here? 
I hurt and I ache. And we hear the name it and claim it and prosperity kind of guys that life is going to be rosy every day. That's a lie from hell. I mean, that's not reality. Even for the saved saint, he struggles. He hurts. Why am I here? Carl Jung, the famous psychiatrist, said this. He said, I don't know the meaning or the purpose of life, but it looks as if something were meant by it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're on the right trail, but what's meant by it? Jack Handley wrote, I hope life isn't a joke because I don't get it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Jane Teller, she said the reason dying is so easy is because death has no meaning. And the reason death has no meaning is because life has no meaning. All the same, just have fun. I'm like... These are tragic statements by elevated, intelligent-style people, people that are regarded as scholars, people that have written books, and they're sitting around going, I hope it's not a joke because I'm not getting it. I find no purpose. I, I really don't even know why I'm here. And do you know that is our society today? Listen, that is our culture today. People are, are, are longing for hope and direction, and certainty, and peace. And so many are just saying, it makes no sense. There, there can't really be any purpose for living. No wonder the suicide rate continues to skyrocket. I mean, what's the option? If life has no meaning, why be here? If there's no purpose in life or death, you get too miserable, just tap out. Right now, amongst our teenagers, 7th graders through 12th graders, did you know the number two cause of death amongst that people group is suicide? They say that in the U.S. right now, that every day over 5,000 7th graders to 12th graders attempt suicide. I mean, last year in a Gwinnett County school that I'm very familiar with, a girl is struggling with depression and pain in her life. She's standing on the balcony of the gym and she dives and kills herself in the gymnasium in front of her peers. And, and I look at it and I'm, I'm like, is there any hope? Is anybody offering any hope? We, we, we're, we're taking God out of the school. We're not going to pray to him and we're going to mention him. We're going to teach evolution. We tell the Gideons to hit the road a long time ago. We're not, we're not into that God stuff. And people are struggling going, where do I find answers? Where do I turn? What am I going to do? And if you take God out of the equation, you have no hope. If you take the Spirit of Christ out of it, there's no hope. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. I start to look at it going, you know, the hedonist says, hey, life is all about pleasure. Eat, drink, and be merry. Have fun. It's all about what you can enjoy. And John Piper has spent so much time talking about and, and writing about Christian hedonism, uh, of just living a life that's wrapped up in personal pleasure. It's not where it's at. The materialist says, hey, hey, look at the commercials. If you get this car and you get this house and you, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to be happy. So acquire everything you can. And you acquire everything you can and then you still feel miserable. Self-help in new age comes on the scene and says, hey, we've got an answer. You create your own purpose. Well, how's that working? And people continue to spiral with hurt. Listen to this. Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord, listen, listen. The Lord has made everything for his own purpose. 
circle everything and his own purpose. I was created for his own purpose. Everything that God has created is for his own purpose. Rocks and trees and dogs and donkeys and me have been created for his purpose. You've been created for his purpose. God is crazy about you. You have been created with value. The four laws of the human heart, love, acceptance, worth, God's significance, women's security, is only found in living out the purpose that God has for me. I am loved by him. I am accepted by him. I have worth. Girls, you're secure in him. Guys, we're significant. He's created us for his purpose. We matter. Here's the crazy thing. So I wake up. I have that conversation with my buddy in KC. I'm hurting for him. I'm hurting for him and his wife that here it is, his daughter has been ambushed and murdered. She had hooked up with this dude that was living more of a thug-style life, he said. Somebody comes in and kills him. And I'm sitting there yesterday praying for them. And I'm contemplating, God, who do you love more? Who do you love more? Do you love the girl who got caught up in a world of lifestyle, in a a lifestyle that was foreign to her? Do, Do you love her? Do you love the dude that pulled her into it? Do you love the gunman? And I'm sitting there yesterday going, I can't just pray for her family. Philip Yancey in his book, What's so amazing about grace, writes, we're all bastards and God loves us anyway. And I'm like, God loves the gunman as much as he loves the girl, as much as he loves. And I'm sitting there, and that's what I'm pondering yesterday. God loves us all. I don't know what your story is. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where you, what you've experienced. But all of us walk in here today, and I can tell you, That God loves you. God loves the person beside you, the person in front of you, the person behind you. He he loves. And he's created each and every one of us for his purpose. Even the the person who refuses to submit to his purpose is loved by this heavenly father. And I'm sitting there yesterday going, this fries my mind. It fries my mind. Because oftentimes we want God's love to be showered on those who, who we have concluded are morally clean. But the gospel is for all of us. Everything. Everybody. Let me give you five purposes. Jog through them. Five purposes. You were created for God's pleasure. Each and every one of us have been created for God's pleasure to worship God. Worship God, know God, glorify God, walk with God. Why am I here? Again, God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied with him. I'm here to worship God above all. I ask the question, what is the center of my life? What controls my world? What calls the shots in my day-to-day life? What is at the center of my life? Jesus at the center of it all. So he goes, you're going to worship something. Are you worshiping God? You've been created for his pleasure. You've been created by God with purpose for his pleasure. I'm like, yes. 
Got to answer that question right there, Steve. Two, you were designed to become like Christ. Discipleship. So if God has created me for his pleasure, I've got to ask the question. I've got to ask the question right here. What is the character of my life? What, what, what is the true character of my life? To those he foreknew, he also predestined to conform and shape them to become like Jesus. Romans eight twenty nine. So I've got to ask the question. If I've been designed to become like Christ, what is God doing right now to shape me to become more like his beloved son? So that others can look at my life and say, when I see you, I see the Father. Because he's conforming and shaping me to be like him. What kind of person am I? What kind of person am I becoming? What kind of strides uh, am I taking and making right now as I allow God to massage me at the core of who I am? Three, you were shaped for serving God. I'm like, yeah, there's ministry and service. What is the contribution of my life? What type of kingdom impact am I having right now? What is God doing in me and through me right now that's impacting other people's lives? I, I, I was created for ministry and service. Now, we, we believe that you hang out and get this identity down for a while before you get into activity. We believe you've got to know who you are before you can go out and start representing who you say you belong to. So, so we want to see you discipled and equipped and trained. But it's like God's created you to serve. He's created you to wash feet. He's created you to start a recovery class for people that are struggling with addictions. Yeah, th that's a sweet spot. And we're seeing God change people's lives. Then you have to say, number four, you were made for a unique assignment. God, God has put a mission inside of you. God has done something unique inside of you that he hasn't done in anyone else. Collectively, salvation is offered. Collectively, progressive sanctification has taken place in our life where he's in the process of conforming us day after day after day. But there's a mission that God's given you. For 20 plus years, that mission for me, I'm like, God, what is it? It's to impact people's lives. Where? In the sports world. Where? In the baseball world. Where? In the professional baseball world, where? And I kept asking, where? Where do you want me? I knew what you wanted, but it was always where. Do chapel for the Braves. Work with all these teams. I've given you an, a, a unique mission. I've given you favor. I've given you the ability to walk into certain rooms that most people don't have favor in. Where? So that, that, that's the question. What is being communicated by my life? When people squeeze me, what's leaking out of me? What's being communicated? Five. You were formed for God's family. Yeah, that, that deals with fellowship. The theological word is koinonia. It's the things we share in common with others because of belonging to Christ Jesus. What community am I hanging out with? What kind of believers am I affiliated with? If I was formed for discipleship and if I was formed to be a part of God's family, check, check, check it. Check it out. I got saved in 1985, so it's 31 years, whatever, right? So I've been walking with Jesus. And as I started walking with Jesus, I had quite a few guys that were kind of Pauls in my life. Pauls, Pauls. And they were mentoring me and life coaching me. Man, how do you get into the Word? Here's, here's what you do. What is salvation? What is assurance? What is prayer? What is the Scripture? What is tithing? What, is, what does all this stuff mean? And I had a couple of guys put their arm around me and coach me. That's what we want to do, Steve. We want to coach people foundationally. And then as I started growing, I had a few Pauls, but also had a few Barnabases. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. I had a few people who just said, hey, man, I'm pulling for you. I'm praying for you. Hey, you can do this. Stay with it. Don't throw the towel in. 
And as I started growing, I started getting some Timothys in my life. That's where I started becoming the Paul and Barnabas to other people. If God has saved me and as God, as God has given me purpose, I still look at that today going, who's my Pauls? Where are my Barnabases? Where is my Timothys? Who am I being a Paul to? Who am I being a Barnabas to? Who am I shepherding and leading and mentoring? Come on. And if we stay on this, we start to look and go, I've got purpose. God wants to use me to encourage others in the journey. Come on. You've got to answer the question. So you go through it and you go, God put you on this planet for a reason. God put you on this planet with a purpose. And I would highly encourage you to take these five questions right here and these five thoughts and spend time this week and really praying through saying, all right, what does authentic worship look like to you, God? Discipleship, ministry, mission, fellowship. If you will go through these things, I promise you it will radically change you. Ephesians chapter 1. I'll wrap up this point. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Check it out. Long ago, even before he made the world, long ago, before God said, let there be light, before God started creating anything, before he even made the world, this blows my mind, God loved us. God chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. One of the fundamental truths that I would encourage you to really embrace is the fact that God loves you. You walk in here today, God's not mad at you. If you come to faith in Christ, there's no condemnation in Christ whatsoever. If God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. He'd be showing you off to everybody. This is my boy. This is my girl. And some of us walk in here and we don't feel lovable. We, we, we feel damaged. We feel shamed. Mama Kay, as you shared your story with abortions and everything, some people walk in here today and they're feeling like their story don't matter. They've messed it up. They've devalued God's uniqueness on their life. And you know as well as I do, God wants to restore that story. It's the love of God that brings us to trust him. I love you. You're not beyond me transforming. And I don't know what you're going through today, but I want you to hear this loud and clear. God loves you. God loves you. God really, really loves you. And I would write that and stick it on my mirror. I would write that in. God loves Spencer. God loves Bobby. God loves, come on, Russell, whoever the name is. Save it as your screensaver. As soon as you turn your phone on, all it says is, God loves Blake. God loves, put your name on it. You pick that stinking phone up all the time anyway. I don't care if you're 8 or 80, you're picking it up. And if that thing popped open and you go, yes, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Maybe Brennan Manning got it right when he said, you're going to stand before God one day and he's going to ask you one question. Did you really believe I loved you? Maybe that's the question. 
maybe that's the reality that unlocks our soul. Existence. Why do I exist? To be loved by God. Oh, 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 no. Now, I was taught if I loved God, I would. You do what? When God changed me about 18 years ago, deep down inside my soul, that's when I turned in living for God once and for all. The day I quit living for God changed my life. It changed my life. Why? Because John 15 says, abide in me and hang with me and remain with me. Apart from me, you can't do anything. When I gave God that, I'm not going to live for you anymore. And I embrace the, I will start to learn to live from you. When I started living from Christ, because he was already in me. I turned off the performance treadmill once and for all. I quit trying, and I started trusting. I love you. You really do. Yes, I'm proud of you. You, you, you really are? Yes. I'm crazy about you. Here we go. Significance. Does my life really matter? This is what Isaiah said. My work all seems so useless. I've spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose at all. I'm like, there, why are you reading all these depressing verses? Because these were saints that really loved God that struggled. Solomon, one of the wisest men, is like, man, vanity of vanities. I went out there and worked and accomplished and acquired, and I'm about to go boots up, and my kids are going to get it and waste every dime. Stay hot. I mean, right? I mean, that's what Isaiah's saying. My work, man, I spent all my strength doing what? What, what? what have I done that's going to outlive me? You ever felt like him? I, I mean, if I were to die today, what does it look like? What kind of legacy is going to be passed on? Are there going to be a few people sitting around, uh, sitting around saying, that, that dude, man, his, his story mattered like we talked about Julian. I was like, man, that dude, I mean, what a life. That was so much fun to do life with him. Then what? Then, then what? Well, what's going to be passed on? I'm like, if I don't know what my purpose is and I really don't know why I'm on this planet, life is going to feel miserable at times. I'm just going to tell you. You'll get on that performance treadmill and that cycle and all of a sudden you'll be screaming, stop the world and let me off. It's fatiguing. It's exhausting. I, I, I mean, if I don't know why I'm here, and if I haven't concluded that my life really matters to God, and I was thinking through this, that we do life usually at one of three levels. Think about it. Every person that walked in here today, for the most part, is at one of three levels. A lot of us walked in here today in survival mode. People have asked you at times, how you doing? I'm just trying to survive which means it's the same old, same old. I'm just trying to get by. I have no idea who I am, where I am, and where I'm going, but I'm just trying to fake it until I can make it kind of attitude. I'm in survival mode. I'm living for the weekend. Anybody ever been there before you came to faith in Christ and you're like, man, I get paid on Friday. We're going to have fun. Monday I get up, I have no clue, no direction, no purpose. I'm just surviving. 
when you're in addictions and different things, you're just surviving. You're just trying to make it another day, another few hours, right? And, 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 and it's so painful. You even get up in the morning and you go, thank you, Lord, for another day. Because it's stinking groundhog day and here we go again. You start getting out of the survival mindset and some of you walk in here today and you're living at the success level. Think about it. Other people look at you and think, man, them people are successful. I mean, you got the right car. You live in the right hood, in the right house, wearing the right threads. And people make assumptions, like check them out. Man, they're successful. They've got freedom. They got money. They don't go to Six Flags for one day on vacation. They do three cruises a year. They're happening. Growing up broke is a joke. If we went to Stone Mountain one day all year is a vacation, we were on top of the world. But we make conclusions, and they're so successful. And even the people at times that think they're successful, that have all this stuff, they lay down at night, and they're like, if this is success, then why am I so stinking miserable? Why can't I sleep? Is this it? I mean, house, cars, clothing? I, I, yeah, I, I've got this pretty little girl. I mean, what am I doing and it's because God doesn't want us just to live in survival mode. And even as the world says, you're successful. You're like, no, I'm not. Some of the most miserable people I ever met was in professional sports. Guys that were making five and 10 and $15 million a year. And they were miserable. Yeah, they had land and they had boats and they had, and they, they, didn't, they didn't have peace. They didn't have purpose. They didn't have anything their life was really pursuing outside of the shallowness of that game. And my heart used to hurt. And I met some that had all that stuff and they had peace and purpose and they were really fully alive. But then you have people that live not just in survival mode and success, but they're living with significance. Here, here's the thing. You know the meaning of life if you're living with significance. Life is a gift. God created me. I'm here for a reason. I'm not accidental. I'm here providentially by God. You start to look and go, I, I know I matter to God. I know I've got a purpose. I know my identity. I know my worth. I, I, I've come to realize and understand that who I am in Christ transcends anything else. My identity gives birth to any activity. I'm loved. I'm cherished. I'm a saint. I'm a friend and all this stuff. You, you just don't read it informationally. You've lived it out with experience and you go, that's who I am. And that's where God wants us. He wants us to know you're significant. You matter so much. I love you. He says in Isaiah 44 too, he finally gets out of his pity party and says, and, and he hears God speaking, I'm your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. You think you're having a rough day, dude? I, 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 I've got my eye on you. My affection is set on you. I've been paying attention to you ever since the day you came onto the planet. You matter so much. Psalm 139.16, David writes, You scheduled each day of my life before I even began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. Yeah, I've got purpose. I've got meaning. I've got value. 
if you only live for now, you're missing it. If you're stockpiling everything about what you can get right now, you're missing it. We look at Julian who lived into his late 60s or whatever. My buddy Larry died last week. He was 67. This little girl just got 28 years out in KC. Um, my, my friend's here today. Her husband, motorcycle wreck. He was killed last year, 74. But if the only thing, listen, listen, listen. If the only thing we live for is that dash we get of 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 25,000 days, if that's all we're living for, we're missing it. We're spending all our time on the other side. The majority of our time is going to be spent on the other side. And every person in here has eternity written within the chromosomes of your genes. Every person is going to spend eternity somewhere. And so many people are rejecting Christ and rejecting the gospel. And they're going to spend eternity separated and alienated and experiencing damnation from God because they rejected him. That's, that's the reality. But for those who call upon the name of Christ to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. People that have been born again and really are saved and really seek the heart of Jesus. God goes, you matter. You matter so much to me that I want you to spend the rest of your eternity with me. Come on. Why would I reject that deal? I, I, I've got to live with eternity as the backdrop. Where I'm going determines how I pack every day here. Hold on to it loosely, man. This ain't all there is. This is a dress rehearsal for where I'm about to go. I mean, I don't know how many ticks this old heart's got left in it. But one day, he's going to say, give me back my breath because it didn't belong to you anyway. And I'm going to be without options. I'm going to give him back his breath. And he's going to say, you know, I've been wanting you to hang with me forever anyway. But we have to be born again. We have to respond to the gospel. We have to surrender. I like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul said, when this tent we live in, I like that analogy there, this tent. Which, it, it, tents don't have foundations. Tent ain't got no brick and stick to it. Tent is a movable object that can be easily transferred from point A to point B. When this tent that we live in, our body here on earth, is torn down, God will have a house in heaven for us to live in. A home he himself has made which will last forever. Yes, man. I'm like, yes, you didn't need me, but you wanted me. You wasn't lonely when you looked down some 54 years ago and started knitting me together going, you know, my problem is I'm codependent and I need a redneck from Noonan in order to satisfy my soul. You, 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 you didn't need me, but you wanted me. And I think if we could ever get there, I wanted you. You did. Yes, I wanted you. I wanted you to know me. I wanted you to walk with me. I wanted you to know my glory, the sum of my magnificent attributes. I wanted to introduce myself to you. I wanted you to know me. I'm not talking about a cognitive no. I ain't talking about a southern culture no. I ain't talking about praying a prayer no. I ain't talking about jumping in a tank of water and calling that it no. I'm talking about knowing God. 
I want you to know me. I want you to know my heart, my love, my grace, my mercy. I want you to know my pursuit, my tenderness, my forgiveness. I want you to know me. You do? Yes. Listen, I want to give you abundant life while you're down here in your dash, but I want to give you eternal life with me. Because that old tent, it's going to wear out, but I made a home for you. I got a place for you. So Julian, if you went to him today and said, hey, you want to go back and hang back down there? If you went to my buddy James or my buddy Larry or any of these people and said, hey, don't you want to go back down there for about a week? Are you kidding me? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, a glorified body with a tent that has no expiration date to it. I love you and I want you to be with me forever. Are you serious? That's too good to be true. Let me wrap. The question of meaning, what is my purpose? I'm going to jog through this quick. What on earth am I really here for? George Barnett said this, most Christians today regard self-fulfillment as the main purpose. Most Christians even say, self-fulfillment, it's all about you, keeping you on the throne, doing whatever you want to do. What a fallacy of life. Thomas Aquinas said, man's ultimate purpose and pleasure in life consists only in the contemplation of Almighty God. Yes. Some of these Catholic cats, Thomas Aquinas, Henry Nowen, Brother Lawrence, some of these people that contemplated the heartbeat of the gospel. I love reading them. Yes. It is in the contemplation of God, in the enjoyment of God, in embracing God. That's where purpose and pleasure is found. And I'm like, yes. Churches oftentimes will spend their focus on preaching how to have a better marriage and how to do finances. And I'm not against that. I'm not against that. But the gospel is not a how-to, it's a he is. Our proclamation should be so God-centered on who he is, the character of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. When I fall in love with he is, he starts to show me how-to. We can come up with formulas trying to give people these ideas of this, how, this is how you do marriage and this is how you do your finances. And if I ever get he is living inside of me, he is... He starts to lead me. We're going to help you with some how-tos. But he is calls the shots. Max Lakita said this. He said, it's impossible to be satisfied with existence once you've tasted purpose. I'm like, I don't want to merely exist. A purpose in life from a godly standpoint is a resolve. It's a plan of action. It's something to say, uh, here's the plan and resolve that I will attain and execute with God directed uh, determination in my heart, here's where I'm going. I've got a plan. God has anchored his plan inside of me. And with God-style determination, I'm going to stay on course. Wrap it. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart. Many are the plans. But it is the Lord's purpose that will prevail. What is your purpose? Why do you have me here? What is the gap that you've given me? Gifts, abilities, and passions. Four anchoring statements. I'll finish it up. Knowing who you are and why you're here is going to give your life so much direction and meaning to it. It summarizes what God's pursuit for your life should be today. What, what am I supposed to be pursuing? What target am I supposed to be shooting at? 
And for all those years, I mean, God was like, reach people with the gospel. Walk with me, worship me, enjoy me, but reach others. And for years, it was in that athletic community. For years, it was the baseball world that opened to the football world, that opened to the comedy world, that opened to whatever world. It was like, reach people. Okay, I want to reach people. But what, what, specifically, I want you to teach and shepherd. I want you to teach and shepherd. Which led me, Steve, to the local church that we talked about six years ago. It's like, all right, when I start to know my pur- purpose, it starts to kind of, uh, it starts to narrow down really what my pursuit should be about. I'm not just kind of wandering aimlessly, too. It keeps your life pointed in a certain direction. Where are you going? Well, uh, I'm. I'm living with eternity in the backdrop, but where are you going with your life? Well, I'm, I'm growing toward manhood. Well, let's get around some men that are walking in manhood that can help shepherd me toward manhood. When I start to define purpose or whatever, I'm going to start to get around, uh, get those people around me that can help me stay pointed, Billy. I mean, that's what God wants us to do. Three, it defines success in a proper way. I'm living a life of purpose. What is success? Success is having those closest to me love me and respect me the most. Yes, but success defined biblically is having wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that honors God. Success has nothing to do with acquiring and materialism and knowledge. It has everything to do with the wisdom of God that has now been imparted to me to say, you want to live a successful life, Josh, Hannah? Get wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that honors God. Get the word, get the truth, get this as foundational, get as much of my logic as you can, God says. Yeah, last thing would be this. It clarifies some of your roles and responsibilities as you do life. My purpose from the time I was born hasn't changed. My purpose since the time I got saved hasn't changed. The roles and responsibilities as I live out my purpose has changed. I got different roles and responsibilities now than I had when I was 20 years old. Yeah, yeah, I mean, when Barb and I got married, I had a role and some roles and responsibilities within marriage. And then Rachel came. Man, that changed it up a little bit. Then Benji came, and I'm like, oh my God, it's changing it again. Then Jesse came, and I'm like, ooh, here we go again. Then Hannah comes, and I'm like, oh God. And then Caleb comes, and I'm like, Man, I got a lot of different roles and responsibilities. And then you start pastoring and you're dealing with sheeple. And so you're dealing with sheeple every day. And every sheep is wired differently. And if you're going to shepherd the heart of sheeple, you've got to start to get there with them. And you're going, man, there's some different roles and responsibilities there. But my purpose has always been this. Worship and walk with God every day. Get up and read. Get in your closet, your watchtower. Spend some time contemplating the goodness of God. Spend some time reading. Spend some time reflecting. Spend some time praying. Spend some time writing down your thoughts. Not for the purpose of what you're going to share on a Sunday morning, but just because you're hanging out with your best friend and and he's talking to you. And when he gives you something, you don't want to miss it. Yeah. So that, that purpose hasn't changed. Roles and responsibilities do. What's your purpose? As you continue to dive into this 40-day challenge, I promise you this. I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate your heart and mind. And he's going to show you things about him that he wants you to know. 
But your worship is going to increase. Your prayer time is going to increase. Your desire to hang out with Papa, Abba, Heavenly Father is going to increase. You're going to start sharing your faith more with other people because he's living in and through you. You'll want to talk about what you value and what you value is going to be him. And so when you talk about what you value, it's not going to be anything earthly. It's going to be, hey, hey, you're not going to believe what God's doing with me. You're not not going to believe how God's been speaking to me. You're not going to believe what God revealed to me. And you'll start talking about that. You know why? Because that'll be the overflow of you starting to hang out in your purpose. 